0: Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 44. Uh, We'll return to Deuteronomy next week. Genesis 44, we've hit a lot of law. We've hit a lot of uh, old covenant, a lot of conditions. Uh, It's good to be reminded of God's grace, even in the Old Testament as well. So we've certainly come three, four hundred years before. Uh, The second generation is on the plains of Moab. And things are pretty touch and go for the people of God. Uh, There was a great famine in the world, and we didn't know if God's promises would last. And so God brought Joseph to Egypt for that very reason. Uh, But the way in which he got here was through much pain and suffering, uh, especially at the hands of one of his brothers or all of his brothers. But the ringleader was Judah. And so uh, it's in the section Uh, where Joseph is testing his brothers, and we especially want to focus on Judah's intercession in Genesis 44. So we'll look at the entire chapter. Uh, I'll begin reading at verse 1. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money, So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them with these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. Uh, How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we and, uh, we also will be my Lord's slaves. He said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. So he so he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, what shall we say to to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, "O my Lord. Please Let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead. And he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes with you down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. for We may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, then he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became a surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that should come upon my father. Amen. Well, in this section of the book of Genesis, it really focuses in on Jacob as the patriarchs. There are three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, but with Isaac and Jacob, it really focuses in on their sons. and so the focus uh, for Jacob as the patriarch are really his sons, all 12 of his sons. I know we like to focus on Joseph and God's providence in his life, but really it's not just about Joseph, but really... uh, 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 deals with the the themes in the entire book, or uh, the themes in the patriarchs, land and seed. Well, the land is not yielding any seed. The land is uh, under famine. Things don't seem to be going well. So what is going to happen to the people with respect to the land? But also there's that question, who's going to be next? We knew very clearly with Abraham, it was going to be Isaac. With Isaac, it was going to be Jacob. But now there's 12 of them. And we thought perhaps it would be Joseph, but Joseph is sold into slavery. So then who would be next? Reuben tried to power play. That didn't work. So the next in line would probably be Judah. But the problem with Judah is that he is the one who connived against his brother. He's the ringleader when it came to conspiring against Joseph to sell him into slavery. And then he engages in incest with his daughter-in-law. So not quite the leadership material. When you consider who would be the one to carry on the family name, who would carry on the seed. So in Genesis 37, they sell Joseph into slavery with Judah. And certainly it's because they hate him. They, they, they sieve with anger against him. Joseph tells his dreams about how these stars are all going to bow before him and how the, his, or their sheaves are going to bow before him. And they do not like that. So they sell him. Then we have Genesis 38 where we see that gross, unsavory chapter about that incest that happens with uh, Judah and his daughter-in-law. And then in Genesis 39 through 41, we see Joseph's rise to power in Egypt. We see Joseph interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. Then we see Joseph interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And the fulfillment of those dreams really is ought to be an encouragement or was an encouragement to Joseph because God would eventually fulfill the dreams that he had as well that he said to his brothers and then genesis 42 through 45 is that family reunion that happens the brothers need grain the brothers need food Uh, there's going to be seven years of plenty and so joseph knows this by the you know by the uh by the power of god he knows this the wisdom of god he knows this and so they prepare in egypt and people come and buy grain from them when the famine hits for seven years and so joseph's brothers come And it took Joseph 12 years before he rose to power, 18 or 17, I guess, 13 years, 17 to 30. And then it's been another seven years. So he's 37 plus two or however long happens. He's at least, you know, 37. So he's been what, almost 20 years he's been gone, 20 years he's been away from his brothers. And so now his brothers have come and they need some food from him. And so Joseph recognizes right away who they are. Joseph then sends them back, uh, uh, keeps Simeon, sends them back. They say, you got to bring Benjamin back if you want to come back. They eventually come back. They have a feast with Joseph. And then Joseph gives them one final test in Genesis 44. He wants to see how much they have changed since those 20 years have passed. Have the brothers remained the same or has there been a change in them? Uh, that God perhaps has wrought. And so I really just wanted to focus tonight on God's goodness, God's grace, God's forgiveness in the Old Testament, that we see God's change that he brings with Judah. And really the problem stems from Genesis 37, envy and hatred over favoritism, the sinful hatred of the brothers all the way back some 20 years ago. And we see that reversal here in Genesis 44. And so in Genesis 44, Joseph gives one final test to see if the brothers would abandon the favored Benjamin. Would they do the same, the same to Benjamin that they did to him 20 years ago? And so we'll look at this, uh, this under two headings this evening. First of all, we'll see Joseph's final test, verses 1 through 17. And then secondly, we'll see Judah's intercession in verses 18 through 34. I know I preached this three years ago, but if you were there, you probably forgot. So uh, Joseph's, same points though, Joseph's final test and Judah's intercession. So let's first look at Joseph's final test uh, in verses 1 through 17. And notice we see he's really going to recreate Genesis 37. He's going to create a situation where he's going to make it possible for them to go and leave their brother in slavery. The brothers have already passed many of his tests already. Uh, They've come back uh, with Benjamin. Uh, uh, They've already returned. Uh, And so uh, uh, they brought their money with them that Joseph, uh, they brought money initially to pay for the grain. Joseph gave them their money back. Uh, They brought that money with them as well. So they seem to be passing all the tests uh, that Joseph has uh, has for them. And their favoritism seems to be gone already. Or uh, in Genesis 43, Benjamin gets more food than they do. Verse 34 of 43. Then he took servings to them before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So the brothers enjoy a family reunion around the table. They don't realize it yet. Uh, And Benjamin gets more, but they do not balk at the favoritism at this time. So then he goes on to recreate this scenario beginning at verse 1. And so uh, he commands his steward, uh, who is a key player throughout Genesis 42 and 43. He fills their sacks in Genesis 42, gives them assurance in Genesis 43, and is going to be the one to put them to the test and call them back to Joseph's house here in 44. So notice he says to the steward, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. So there's going to be generosity There's kindness that we see here, but he also wants to put them to the test with his cup. Verse two, also put my cup, the silver cup in the mouth, uh, sorry, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. And so the steward does according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And then the brothers leave in verse three, as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And then after they had gone out, Joseph calls the steward again in verse 4, and he says, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtaken overtaken them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Now, there's some irony here because the brothers actually haven't done anything wrong, at least in chapters 42 through 45. Certainly, they know they have done something wrong. uh, uh, When you consider Genesis chapter 37, but he says, why have you repaid evil for good? And what's interesting is their plan that they meant for evil in Genesis 37, God means for good, according to Genesis 50 and Genesis 45. So what they meant for evil, God meant for good. So there's some irony here uh, with Genesis 44, verse 4, as Joseph Stewart, speaking on behalf of Joseph, says, uh, why have you repaid evil for good? Is this not the one from which my Lord drinks and uh, with which indeed practices divination? You've done evil in so doing. It's probably not that he actually engages in divination. Uh, There was an ancient Near Eastern practice called hydromancy. Uh, What would happen is some would pour oil into water and perhaps get insight into the mind of the gods, uh, perhaps about the future, but also to determine guilt or innocence. And so perhaps what he says here, Uh, is just to cause a ruse to highlight its importance. Uh, We know from Genesis 45 and from really the the whole section, Joseph relies on God, not on hydromancy. So this is probably just a ruse uh, in his plot to test his brothers. And so you have done an evil in so doing. And so that's Joseph's plan. And then we see it take place in verse 6 through uh, really to the end of the section. So verse 6. So the steward goes, he overtakes them. He speaks to them these same words. And they say, why does my Lord say these words? Uh, they, were, they have a good track record. We would never do such a thing. Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. We've already had a good track record with you. We brought the money back. We wanted to pay you know, for more grain. We brought the money you gave us. Uh, why would we do such a thing? You've shown us kindness. You've shown us goodness. Why would we steal from you? And then they uh, uh, take a rash oath. It's very oath-like language. How then uh, could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. They're so confident in their innocence that they engage in this. Oh, hey, okay, whoever has it, let that guy die. Now there's one guy, they one, one guy who cannot die, right? There's one guy who cannot be a slave, and that's Benjamin. Otherwise, their father would die. Benjamin, remember, is Joseph's brother, Joseph's full brother, uh, by Jacob and Rachel. Joseph and Benjamin were the favorites. Sorry, unfortunately, sometimes parents have favorites. I know all the parents like to say they don't have favorites. That's probably true, right, in modern times. But Joseph, in any case, certainly had favorites. And it was Jacob and Benjamin. Joseph is supposedly dead, uh, at least in Jacob's mind. And so Benjamin was the last one. He cannot. And so the suspense begins to build. <laughs> uh, let him die and we also will be my lords. Now, we know more. Than the brothers, right? It's called divine eavesdropping. We know the plot, verses one through five. We know the plan. We know who has it. And we're just building the suspense to when he's caught. And so they say in verse 10, now let it be according, or this is the steward speaking. Now let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. A gracious adjustment. You shall be Blameless, you shall be acquitted. Then each, so that is whoever it is, he's going to be taken away, but everyone else is going to be let off the hook. Then each man, verse 11, speedily put down his sack. Again, it's to see if they would leave their brother, uh, leave him in the lurch, if they would leave him as a slave like they did to Joseph. So you'll be fine, but whoever's caught will be the one who is taken. And so each man speedily. Put down his sack. This is probably to the highlight their innocence. Let's get this over with. We got a long journey back to Canaan uh, from Egypt. And so the suspense builds. Each man opened his sack. So he searched. And he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. So who's the oldest? Starts with Reuben, then Simeon, I think, then Levi, then Judah, and who's after that? I can't remember, 30. I know I said when we went through this, you all need to remember who all the, who all the, the, the sons are. So those are the first four to Leah. Then two come from Bilhah, that's Rachel's maid. She has uh, Dan and Naphtali. And then Leah, this, this big battle over who has more children. And then Zilpah, who's Leah's, uh, Leah's uh, maidservant is given to Jacob. And she has Gad and Asher. And then there's this big fight over mandrakes. Uh, You can go listen to me talk about that uh, if you want to. Basically, it's prostitution. I'm just going to say it like it is. The mandrakes are perhaps an aphrodisiac, and uh, and so Leah and Rachel were fighting over that. Rachel hasn't had children yet, and she's like, maybe the mandrakes will help. You can have Jacob tonight, and I'll take the mandrakes next time. So eventually, essentially, he's being sold for mandrakes by his two wives. This is the people of God, by the way, in the Old Testament. So, uh, I I mean, if you were to pick people to be the people of God, we would probably not pick these guys. But God is gracious and good to bring about his promises through unsavory situations. And so Leah then has a fifth son after the Mandrake wager. And then Issachar is born. Then Zebulon, and then finally God opens Rachel's womb, and she has two sons, Joseph, and then eventually she has Benjamin. So finally they go down all the lists, they get to Benjamin, and what do you know? He be, uh, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tear their clothes, each man lowered his donkey, and they return to the city. And what's interesting is the language of tearing their clothes Notice they all tear their clothes. When Joseph was supposedly killed or supposedly eaten and torn apart, but to pieces, only one person tore his clothes. That was Jacob in Genesis 37. The brothers didn't. The brothers did not tear their clothes. They knew what they did. The brothers knew what they engaged in. The brothers didn't care. The brothers were certainly cared for their father, but they were happy to see their brother who said, you're all going to bow before me. They did not tear their clothes then, but 20 years later, they tear their clothes. They show some concern for the youngest one, Benjamin. So a lot of change, even subtly, we see in their actions toward Benjamin and what would happen to Benjamin. So Judah speaks on behalf of them. Again, Judah is the leader here. Reuben is not, even though he's the oldest. Reuben tried to power play with Bilhah after Rachel died. Uh, remember he took Bilhah and engaged in relations with her. That wasn't just for relations. That was a power play because Rachel was the loved one. And he's like, well, Bilhah is the maidservant of Rachel. Maybe maybe I'll get some clout by doing that. Uh, And so then he is demoted. Judah is the one who takes the lead. Judah is the one uh, who leads the brothers. And so he speaks. What shall we say to my Lord? They come back uh, they come back to, jo- uh, sorry, verse 14, Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground, just like the dream said would happen. Now, It's already been fulfilled as well in Genesis 42, but just like the dream said would happen, we see it happen here. They fall down before him on the ground. In verse 15, Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Again, he is, doesn't actually practice divination. Perhaps he's spoofing the use of it here. Uh, you know, Joseph receives, you know, he receives word from God. He receives wisdom from God. And there's a bit of an irony here. If he is a diviner, can't he see their innocence? If he's one who practices such things, can't he see what, uh, 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 uh uh, uh, the, the situation with this hydromancy uh, that he could have engaged in. So, really, what he's spoofing here, and Moses, as he writes this, is spoofing here, is really teaching us as he spoofs who's in control. Who's in control of history? Who's in control of all things? Who is the one who moves providence for his purposes? God, driving to the point, Genesis 50. That's the point. What man means for evil. God means for good. And unfortunately for the men, the circumstantial evidence is overwhelming. Well, yeah, we would never take it, but there it is. Verse 16, then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also, with whom the cup was found. Now notice they confess their sin, but what's kind of odd, even though the circumstantial evidence is overwhelming, they haven't done anything wrong. And perhaps as the brothers said beforehand in Genesis, as they came to their brother, as they as as they um, uh, as they met Joseph in Genesis 42, I can't remember the specific spot, but they say, Has he found out? Does God know? Are we being repaid for what we did to a brother? There is some guilt perhaps nagging at them. There's some guilt perhaps that is with them. But what's interesting is God moves forward. He's showing grace to these brothers and that they are confessing their sin. And so uh, Joseph's verdict then is going to be, or what the punished sentencing would be, verse 17. He said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. What do they do with the favored brother? Will they leave him in slavery or will they perhaps care for him more than they did Joseph when he was sold into slavery? Now we do see in that section where he does confess his sin. And I just want to highlight the importance of repenting for real sins that we really commit. Rather than we commit <clears throat> wicked sins, but we must really repent of those sins and turn and find forgiveness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Judah's confession highlights that he really did sin. And we do see some real repentance from these brothers. Even after many years, do you ever hold a grudge against someone who doesn't repent right away? What if it takes them 20 years to repent? That's how gracious God is. And when we repent, when we confess our sins, we confess the sins that we know we commit and the sins we don't know we commit. Well, brethren, we do commit real sins. Whether we seethe with anger against somebody Where we speak with anger against somebody or whether we conspire to murder somebody, it is a real and true and actual sin. And certainly even for God's people, we are both just and sinful at the same time, right? In this present evil age and our remaining corruption. We are just and righteous in the sight of God, yet we still struggle with sin. And so while there is certainly that conversion, that turning from our sin to the true and living God, we still have to repent day by day. We still have to ask God to help us have that reminder and change of mind about those sins that we commit. Because sometimes we still uh, struggle and we will struggle with certain types of sins. And sometimes perhaps Uh, the older we get and the more set in our ways with those sins, sometimes those sins can be harder to shake. We must remember God is gracious and God is good. God is merciful. And even though we must repent of our real sins, God is uh, pleased to forgive real sinners as well. Judah did a terrible thing. The brothers did a terrible thing. And even though it's true, they don't actually take the cup here. We still see some recognition and sorrow over their sin as they confess it to uh, Joseph here. So that's Joseph's final test. Let's then look secondly at Judah's intercession, verses 18 through 34. This is actually the longest speech in Genesis. And Judah here acts as a surety for his brother. He acts as one who intercedes for his brother. He's very persuasive here, uh, but he's very respectful as well. He loves his father. He uses the word father 14 times. He focuses in on his father, Jacob. And notice he says, uh, highlights his father's well-being in verses 18 through 23. He says, then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord. Please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. He also used the language of your servant throughout as well. And do not let your anger burn against your servant. Whose anger burned against Joseph 20 years ago? Do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Benjamin is still clearly the favorite. Jacob is still showing favoritism. And so he recounts then, even with that thought in mind, he still says, he recounts what they said uh, to the father, uh, to to Jacob. And we said to my Lord, we have a, uh, uh, sorry, uh, verse 21. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father or if uh, or if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, he shall see my face no more. Judas saying he's the favorite. Judah's trying to highlight he's the favorite. He is the one that Jacob loves, driving to the point where Judah is going to say, let me take his place. And verses 18 through 23, recall Genesis 42. Then in Genesis 24 through 29, or sorry, 44 verses 24 through 29, we see him recall Genesis 43. They still need more food. There's still going to be five years of famine in the land. And they've gone through the grain. They need more food. And they know they can't go back unless Benjamin comes. And Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go, lest some calamity happen to him. And so they say, Father, we cannot go unless Benjamin comes with us. And he says, Okay, finally, Benjamin may go. So, verse 24 So it was when we went to your servant, my father, and we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go back and buy us a little food. But we said we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. We may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces. and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him. You shall bring my gray hair with sorrow to the Great. And the favoritism continues. Notice how Judah refers to, uh, or how Jacob refers to uh, uh, Rachel and Benjamin and Joseph. Then your servant, my father, said, you know that my wife bore me two sons. What about Leah? What about the other sons? What about Bilhah? What about Zilpah? You see, Jacob still Clearly shows favoritism towards Benjamin, and so um, he uh, 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 and he's concerned if you you know Joseph was taken in Jacob's mind, uh, but what if Benjamin's taken? If this calamity befalls him, you shall bring my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. And so, verses thirty to thirty-four, Judah then takes the place. His brother or offers to take the place of his brother. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees the lad is not with us that he will die. So, your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For your servant Judah became a surety for the lad to my father. Judah acts as a surety. Judah acts as, it's a legal terminology or financial terminology of one saying, I will take the place of Benjamin. I will take his punishment. I will bear that upon myself. I will be the one who will be the slave instead of him. And it could have been lip service. You know, we wouldn't have put it past Judah from 20 years ago. And so he gave this promise in Genesis 43, but it's not just lip service. He is genuinely concerned for the well-being of his father. And he's fulfilling that promise that he made in Genesis 43, as he's speaking in this long intercession. He says, for your servant became a surety for the lad to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers for how shall I go up to my father? if The lad is not with me. Lest perhaps I see the evil that should come upon my father. He is concerned with the evil and calamity that would come upon his father before he was concerned with finding favor and being the best in his father's eyes. And what's fascinating is throughout this speech and throughout what you see in Genesis 43 and 42, Jacob hasn't changed. Jacob still shows favoritism. We like to think that as we grow old, we grow more wise and grow more godly. That's not always the case. Jacob doesn't. And unfortunately, there are many elderly people in the Bible who do not. And there are many elderly people in modern times who do not as well. He still is clearly showing favoritism to Benjamin. But who's changed? Judah has. The brothers have changed. God has brought about a, a great and miraculous change in the one who connived to kill Joseph and to sell him into slavery. Now he is actually concerned with his father's well-being, even though he understands his father still shows favoritism. Yet he still wants to make sure his father does not go to the grave. He's functioning as a true leader should. He is functioning as a true king should. He is considering not his own needs, but the needs of somebody else. Robert Alter says his entire speech is motivated by the deepest empathy for his father, by a real understanding of what it means for the old man's uh, very life to be bound up with that with the lad. He can even bring himself to quote sympathetically Jacob's typically extravagant statement that his wife bore him two sons as though Leah were not also his wife, and the other ten were not also his sons. brethren Judah in this section is clearly the hero and the savior of his people. It is true that Joseph is the one God uses to bring the people to egypt and to and to go before them to 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 have the dreams about the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine. But Judah does play a role as well. And when it comes to uh, who would carry on the seed and who would receive the blessing, Joseph actually receives the blessing, the double blessing. But Judah receives the line. The line of the Messiah will come through Judah, not Joseph. And what's interesting is you see his conversion in a lot of ways in Genesis 38. And we see there that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is more concerned with perpetuating the promise of God than he was. That's why he says, as gross as it is, she is more righteous than I. You see, because Jacob or uh, uh, Judah was not giving uh, the youngest son to Tamar to perpetuate that seed. And so she took matters into her own hands. I'm not going to comment on the legitimacy of all those things. But as God, God does confirm it and says she is more righteous than I. I'm not saying we do that. But God does say she is more righteous than I. And we see he takes her. He never knows her again. And it's from his children that the lion of the tribe of Judah would come. He clearly acts as a king here. And we see in Genesis 49, the the blessing and promise and prophecy of his tribe. In verses 8 through 12, it says, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's wealth. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding the donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk he is the one who receives the line he is the one who receives the king who would come and we see uh, his son who would come would be the surety for his people and we eventually come to the climax of the section in genesis 45 joseph can't handle it anymore right for 45 one and joseph cannot restrain himself before all those who stood by and he cried out Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And he reveals himself. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. They thought he was dead. They thought he was killed. They didn't know what happened to him. And we see Joseph here for give them. Joseph forgives them. I think we hold grudges sometimes for much less than what they did to him, and he forgave them. And brethren, it does not even compare to the forgiveness God gives you and I in Christ. God forgives an incestuous, wicked man like Judah, changes him and gives him new life and joseph's revealing really is that climax of the book and we see as walkie says really judah is a type of christ walkie says his self-sacrificing love for his brother for the sake of his father prefigures the vicarious atonement of christ who by his voluntary sufferings heals the breach between god and human beings Joseph gets the double portion, but Judah gets eternal kingship. Isn't that why Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah? So God is good to change Judah. God is good in his sovereignty to bring about what man meant for evil, what Judah meant for evil. God meant for good. What I want us to see here is that God really does forgive real sinners. I know on Sunday I highlighted that idea of God hating the sin or hating the sin and not the sinner. That's garbage. God is angry with the wicked every day. And as we saw on Sunday morning uh, with Colossians chapter 1, where he says, you were once enemies in your mind. Your disposition, not your sins. Certainly your sins contribute to that. But you yourself were an enemy against God. God forgives real sins and he forgives real sinners, and God brings about transformation in their lives. We see that change in Judah, and perhaps we've seen that change in our own life now. What we once were, what we are now, and we might still struggle with certain sins, still struggle with certain proclivities, but we can say and look back and look at what we once were and see what we are now in the work of God. God's grace is not just seen in his goodness to them, but his change in them. Robert Alter says, 22 years earlier, Judah engineered the selling of Joseph into slavery. Now he's prepared to offer himself as a slave so that the other son of Rachel can be set free. 22 years earlier, he stood with his brothers and silently watched when the bloody tunic they brought to Jacob sent their father into a fit of anguish. Now he is willing to do anything in order to, sit, to, have, to, uh, in order to have to see his father. Uh, not uh, in order not to have to see his father suffer that way again. God brings about change. God forgives. God is gracious. And God is the one who is faithful. Even when it seems like the people of God are going to go the way we all must go. Seems like the people of God are going to pass into nothing and God's promises are not going to be fulfilled. God is the one who brings about his fulfillment. And he did so through one who conspired to kill his brother. And he worked to bring about the salvation of Israel, the salvation of Judah, and through Judah the salvation of all the people all his people in the work of the son. There is mercy and forgiveness in the line of the tribe of Judah, because God is pleased to forgive, and God is pleased to change. Let us appreciate God's mercy and grace toward wretched sinners like us, even as we see God's work in the life of Judah. Let's pray. Lord our God, we truly do not understand the forgiveness uh, that we receive from you. We truly do not know how much we owe uh, when we consider your goodness towards us. We confess, O oh God, we hold grudges and we are slow to forgive when you are so quick to forgive us. So may we, because we have been forgiven with a great forgiveness, be quick to forgive others. Give us graciousness, give us patience, give us uh, help us to be merciful uh, to others as well. We know that this is so hard for us, O oh God, for we are so prideful and so arrogant, yet we are thankful that you've forgiven us of these sins as well. Again, O oh God, we confess we have not done one sinless act, but we're thankful for Christ who is perfect in every way. We're thankful, O oh God, that Judah points to him. We know that Judah did terrible things and you forgave him. We know that uh, many of your other saints do terrible things and you forgive them. Thank you, O oh God, that your forgiveness is as such that it does forgive the worst of sinners and gives them new life. And so may we cherish that, may we recognize that, may we see that, may it stir our hearts to praise, may it stir our hearts to worship, may it stir our hearts to obedience, not to be saved, but because we have been saved. Thank you, O God, that you're the one who redeems, you're the one who justifies, you're the one who sanctifies, and you're the one who will glorify us, O God. Thank you for all that you've done because of our surety, the one who stands in our stead, Thank you that he is the surety of a better covenant built on better promises, and those promises cannot be broken because of Christ, our mediator. Thank you that Christ is king. Thank you that Christ is priest. Thank you that Christ is prophet, and may he be magnified and glorified in our lives. May he be magnified and glorified in our midst. And may we appreciate that you you forgive real sinners, and thank you that we have forgiveness in you. So give us, uh, may this be an encouragement to our hearts as we go into the world. Give us strength by your spirit, we pray, in the name of Christ, amen.